0: Good singing this morning. You may be seated. Indeed, good singing this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Joshua chapter number one. We get in such habits, don't we? Three songs and we're done. Zach threw a fourth one and this whole group on the front left over here was like, whoa, whoa, back up and down they went. That's what I was laughing at. Sometimes you all look up here and go, what's pastor laughing at? That was laughing at that. They'll all get me after church, I'm sure. Joshua chapter number one. Going to continue in our series of walking with God and looking at Joshua. Last week we looked at victory over the flesh. Joshua's battle against Amalek. This morning we're going to look at victory through faith. His life speaks to victory. In fact, his name, Joshua, means Jehovah saves or Jehovah is salvation. The Greek transliteration of his name is the word Jesus. That's where we get the name Jesus from. So our man of victory, Joshua, has burst onto the scene in the battle against the flesh, showing our chief enemy on the battlefield and giving us the key to victory over that flesh. Victory over the flesh comes, we noted last week, when we are faithful and fervent in fighting against it. You must get into the fight. Today, we will learn that it takes an immense amount of faith. But even the faith that is our victory is easy to understand and to hold. So we turn our attention now to Joshua taking over the leadership of God's people, the Israelites. Moses, in chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, gives his farewell, his encouragement, and gives some warnings as Deuteronomy closes. And now Joshua's faith will be put to test in leading God's people to victory in the promised land. It's where we come to when we begin our reading in Joshua chapter 1. And in verse 1, the Bible says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you." As I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even to the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. By the way, if you ever doubt that Joshua is about victory, there it is. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and have a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong, And of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Father, help us, I pray, as we come to this man Joshua, as we look at the victorious life that is ours. But it is only ours through faith. He's overcome and shown us the secret to defeating our flesh. Now it's to live in the prosperity of your very presence, in the fullness of your blessings, and every word of your promise. God, as we come to this passage of Scripture, and as we study this man through these first six chapters, I pray that you would help us to see the pathway to victory. Help us to understand this man, and what we must do to be victorious as well. Bless us, I pray in this hour in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three deliberate steps to victory for Joshua as it leads him to Jericho. I don't know about your life, but I thoroughly enjoy walking with God and finding moments, times, and opportunities where I can be victorious. Can you look at your life and say that it is a life of victory? Do you see the successes that God has given to you? Or is your life just one defeat after another? One problem after another? God wants you to live a life of victory. Amen. It's what He's designed us for. It's why He came to redeem us. It's why He has saved us. It's not just that someday we'll be victorious. No, it's today yep. I can be victorious. Right. And what we're going to discover in these first six chapters of Joshua is that life of victory only comes as we trust and depend upon Almighty God in everything that He says and does for us. Joshua's life of victory, that victory comes through faith. It starts, number one in our outlines, with a call to faith. What we read in our passage this morning is the call of God to a life of faith. Up to this point, Joshua has been following Moses' leadership. Moses has been God's man. Moses has been leading God's people. Moses has been the one that's been directing. And all Joshua had to do is be a second, an underling, somebody that just followed another great man's leadership. But now it was his choice. Now it was his turn. Now it was God's calling upon his life. And the question is, would Joshua, would he himself actually answer that call of faith? God calls us to take him at his word and act. That's what I put underneath your outline there when it says a call to faith. That is what faith is. God is calling you this morning to take what has been revealed to you from this book, whether it's in the preaching of the word of God or in your own reading or in your own study, your understanding of this word, what he has revealed to you, he says, do it. Will you act? It is a call to faith. For Joshua, in this call to faith, it begins with the opportunities that are ours, letter A. Joshua is told two phrases, three times in this passage. Does anybody want to venture to offer what those two phrases are? Be strong and be courageous, of good courage, very courageous. So when we look at faith's opportunities, I put those as your notes underneath there. Joshua is told to be strong and of a good courage. In fact, this isn't the first time that Joshua is told to be strong and of a good courage. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses in his farewell address is talking to the children of Israel, tells them to be strong and courageous. But then in verse 7, he looks directly at Hosea, Joshua, the son of Nun, and he says to him, be strong and of a good courage. He has his mentor's approval. You can do this. But guess what? It can't be Moses' faith. The opportunity is that he can answer the call to faith, but it can't be somebody else's. Kids, you cannot have your parents' faith. It has to be your faith. It has to be your trust. Every person that's come to faith in Jesus Christ understands this truth. Here in chapter 1 in verse 6 and verse 7 and again in verse 9, God says, be strong of a good courage. Be strong and very courageous. Have not I commanded thee be strong and of a good courage in verse number nine. You get the idea that God wants then from us dedication, strength, boldness, and an engagement from his people. He wants us to act on what he has told us. He especially wants this from those who he chooses to lead his people. Weak, Willed believers will never accomplish anything for God. You might show up at church on Sunday morning, but if you never gain the victory in your spiritual life, if you never choose to pursue God in and by the faith that saved you, you'll never accomplish it. You'll never be victorious. Joshua is victorious through his faith. God wants our spiritual man, our Christ-like man, to be strong, to be courageous, so that we might be victorious. Every believer is given two opportunities in every choice that is presented to us. Every opportunity that comes to us has these two responsibilities within it. And this comes with the call of faith. First, to be strong. I put these in your notes. There's no surprise to you in this. You don't even have to fill anything in. You just need to think through with me. What does that phrase, to be strong, mean? Well, in the original language, it means this. It means to grow firm in our grasp. It means to strengthen our hold upon. So here's what God is saying over and over and over again to Joshua is, if you will just hold on, hold on, hold on to me, you'll be fine. You know, we read this sometimes. You know what? I just need to be strong. Can I tell you something? You're weak. Your flesh is weak. You and your nature will fail. The strength that you need day by day does not come in and through you. It comes to you by God as we trust in him. He says, hold on to me. That is the strength that we need day by day. He gives three things for him to hold on to. In verses three and four, he says, hold on to my provisions. In verse five, he says, hold on to my presence. And in verses eight and nine, he says, hold on to my promises. I love the rhetorical question in verse nine. Have not I commanded thee? I mean, I just told you all this stuff. Did you listen? Can can you hear me? Do you understand what I want you to do? What God is saying to him is, be strong. Hold on to me. Do not waver in your faith. This is our opportunity. Whatever choices are presented to us, whatever ways in which God wants to lead us, whatever victory that you need in your life, it only comes first as you act upon the opportunity to be strong. Hold on to him. Can I suggest it is a hard thing for you to hold on to God's word if you don't know God's word. What am I holding on to? I remember years ago, I was an Awana commander. Anybody been in Awanas? Awanas are great. There's Some of you waving your hand real high. If we had a gym, we might do it here. We just don't have a gym to do all the fun games that Awanas plays. But I was the Awana commander, and there's like 140 kids in the Awana program at the church I was at. And I remember one time, the Awana commander... Right, they have cool titles in Awana. The Awana commander came in and he said to me, I was the game master, which made me sound cool in my early 20s, but I really wasn't. He came in and he said, hey, Kyle, grab that kid. There's 140 of them. What kid am I supposed to grab? So I just started grabbing kid after kid and said, this one. He realized very quickly, his name was Matt LeGrand, great man of God, home in heaven now. He realized very quickly he had not given me the clear instruction as to who I was supposed to hold on to. And it reminded me as I was thinking through this idea of holding on to something this week. That's happening to a lot of Christians. The pastor will up, get up here and say, bless God, you need to hold on to Jesus. And you'll say, yeah, I do. And then you will leave here and say, uh, what am I holding? I, Jesus, okay, um, could, could you tell me what that means, pastor? Yeah, it's right here in our text. Hold on to what he's provided you, your salvation. The separation that comes in that salvation from your old sinful flesh. Hold on to that. By the way, if you fall back into sin and decide you want to keep sinning, are you really holding on to that salvation at all? No. Stand firm. Hold fast to that. Be strong in what he's provided. Then he says in verse 5, I won't fail you. I won't forsake you. Hold on to me and who I am in my nature. By the way, you and I, we will fail him, but he will never fail us. The third thing he says to hold on to, when you want victory, when the world, the devil in your flesh is beating you down, if you want victory, answer the call of faith in this opportunity. Hold on to his promises. Find out what the Bible says on a matter. Find out what the Bible talks about and hold on to that very promise. Strength is not something you can fake, my friend strength is something you can find only in God. For us our strength is found in Jesus Christ and the indwelling of his holy spirit that he sends forth to comfort us, to encourage us, to help us to hold to him when we put our faith and trust in him. Second, we put in there to be of good courage. What does it mean to be of good courage? Well, courage means if it were to taken from the original language to be stout, to be bold, To be firm, to be determined and alert, ready in our mind. The faith which holds firm in strength to God will build in us a good determination that we can do it again. Have you ever had to trust God wholly for something in your life? And when you have, the next time that opportunity comes up, you can find success. So what God is telling Joshua here is, son... I want you to be strong. Hold on to me. And in that holding on to me, I want you to decision after decision, choice after choice, event after event, I want you to grow in confidence that I'm a good God and that I will work on your behalf. Letter B in our outlines, it's not just faith's opportunities. In verse 10 and following, it's about faith's obedience. One of the great transitions in the Bible is found here in verse number 10. God has spoken. And now it's Joshua's turn to respond. Then Joshua turned back and lived in the wilderness. Well, thankfully it doesn't say that obviously. Verse 10 says, "Then Joshua commanded the officers and the people of the people saying, pass through the host, command the people saying, Prepare your victuals. For within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Now he's talking to the three, two and a half tribes, I should say, that were going to stay on the east side of Jordan, but that Moses had commanded that they would have to go into the land. He begins to speak to them and says, Hey, you leave your wives and your little ones here in verse 14, but you, men of war, you go in because this victory is your. To win. You can't stay over here and sit out the fight. We find Joshua as a great leader, a great commander, a great answerer to the call of faith, a victorious man who is strong and courageous, turns and acts. Can I suggest to you, if you come to Sunday morning church and you hear great preaching, but you never go out from here and change because of the preaching. If you sit down and read your Bible Monday after Tuesday after Wednesday and Thursday, and you take the word of God, but never do the word of God, ye are hearers of the word and not doers. In verse 10 it says, Then Joshua commanded. He acted. By the way, parents, Never underestimate the importance of your obedient actions before God, but also before the eyes of your children. Notice, if you will, beginning in verse number 16, his act of obedience had the effect of obedience on others. Verse 16, the Bible says this, and they answered Joshua saying, All that thou commandest us, we will do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you choose, friend, to be obedient, you will make an impact on others. By the way, that's the beauty of a strong church community. Within the body of Christ, we draw strength from each other because we don't just know the word of God, we do the word of God. As we act, we affect others. Oh, if Kyle can do it, I guess I can do it as well. And I may be thinking as the pastor, well, praise the Lord, if they can do it and endure this conflict or go through this trial by faith, trusting God, I can too. It's the effect. They go on to say this, all that thou commandest us, we will do. And whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. Verse 17, according as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Here's, they're not equivocating here. They're not hesitating here. What they're saying is we recognize your obedience and we want to follow you just like we followed Moses. Remember who this is. This is a second generation of Israelites. The first generation had all died in the wilderness because they lacked the effect or the obedience They lack faith and trust in God. Well, we're going to skip chapter 2. So if you'll turn over to chapter 3. Now, some of you are thinking, why? Well, the answer is Rahab and her story is very compelling. But it doesn't teach us or add to us particularly any details of Joshua's victory through faith. I will make this aside as we turn over there. There's a lot of things to note about Rahab... As an example or as a type of the New Testament believer. Rahab was a first sinner who was living secondly in a condemned realm. Third, she was given a period of grace wherein she heard the word of God like we do who when she and she could believe that revelation about God was true. Number 5, And sixth, she could prove her faith through her works. When they come to uh, her house or come back uh, to Jericho in chapter six, that scarlet thread is hung from the window just where the spies told her, if you will keep the word of God, if you will believe and put your faith and trust in our God, if you will do what we said, you will be saved. She's a perfect picture of the New Testament saint. But again, as I said, she doesn't add much to the understanding of Joshua's victory through faith. That's her own story. In Joshua chapter 3, we find our way back into Joshua's victorious faith. Following his call and commission, we might say, he was presented, number two, the opportunity and the possibility of consecration by faith. What do we mean by consecrate? Well, to be consecrated means to be separated. It carries the idea of being set apart, to be declared as sacred, as holy. There are two incidents that teach us about faith-based consecration. In other words, once I've answered the call to faith, That is believing Jesus Christ as my Savior for the New Testament saint. And then day by day acting in that faith as I go through my life. There is then the second step of separating from what was to what could be. Separating from the world and the flesh unto Christ. Putting off the old man, putting on the new man. And we find it right here in the story in chapters 3, 4 and the beginning of chapter number 5. Consecration by faith, letter A, comes by choice. You aren't automatically consecrated. You say, well, I'm saved. Well, getting saved changes your eternal destiny. It passes you from death into life. But it doesn't guarantee that you're going to live a life that is consecrated wholly to God. It was in the crossing of the Jordan River in chapters 3 and 4 that we see that there is an actual step of consecration. There is a choice to separate from wilderness wandering and uncertainty into a life of promise that God had for them. God offers them the choice to enter into rest. The two choices on the shelf would be these. To stay in the wilderness meant wandering without a home, without security, without his promise, without God's presence, without God's power, and without his provisions. To enter into the land meant all of these things were theirs. But they would have to fight through their faith the enemies who sought to steal and destroy that peace and rest. All along, though, they would be assured of this, God's full power Provision, person, and presence would be with them. You say, Well, I don't know if I want to make that trade. You should make that trade. Amen. If you choose to consecrate yourself wholly unto God, you will then get the full blessing of God's presence in your life. It's a good place to live. Amen. Amen. This choice for Joshua would bring God's blessing. But this choice by Joshua would also bring the enemy's cursing and fighting. Sometimes a lot of Christians entering into the promised life that God has given to us in salvation are shocked. I mean shocked that people don't appreciate what they're trying to become. May I suggest to you, you should stop being shocked. Embrace not being the oddball Or the one that angers everyone. But embrace the fact that you are consecrating yourself wholly unto God. And in making that choice, it naturally sets those who don't love God as our enemies. One of the great truths in the Bible is when we come to chapter number 6. And we'll get there in just a moment. But it basically says the entire group of people that was in the city. The entire group of individuals in that area. Chapter 5 and verse 1 starts the same way. Everybody in the land was afraid of Israel. Why? Because Israel had chosen to consecrate themselves unto the Lord. And they knew the God of Israel would do anything and could do anything. By faith, Joshua and the Israelites entered the promised land. By faith, we must choose to enter into the life that God promises us. Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2 says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders... By the way, that group of elders here is Joshua. We could read that right here to say, for by it, Joshua obtained a good report. The Old Testament saints understood that choice is at the core of a consecrated life of faith. You want to be victorious? Then you're going to have to choose to separate unto holiness, unto God. And Notice some of the choices or the pattern of the choices that Israel and Joshua made. In your Bibles, go to chapter 3 and look in verse number 5 with me. I put these down in your notes. I want to read through them so that we understand them, so we can see what choice looks like. Because a lot of times Christians struggle with the choice they ought to make. They make a nebulous agreement with God in an invitation, pray it and walk out and don't do anything from it. And we find in chapters three and four that the pattern or the process of making a choice is laid out very clearly for us. Notice what it says in verse number five. And Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Listen, that's the reason you want to be sanctified. That's the reason you want to be consecrated and set apart. Verse number 6, Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan." And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, come hither and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, hereby ye shall know that the living God is among you and that, be, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, verse 11, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth passeth over before you into Jordan, Not over Jordan, not around Jordan, but down into Jordan. We find in verses 5 through 11 that there is a specific choice that Joshua and Israel made. I'm going to leave the wilderness. I'm going to enter into God's rest, into the promised land. They didn't just walk across some random desert line which marked an imaginary boundary of a kingdom or people. They crossed a river. We're going to read in the next few verses. It was a river at harvest time, which means it was flowing with plenty of water. Once on the other side of the river... They weren't going to just be able to cross back over. May I suggest to you, whatever it is that God says in your life must be put off, and whatever it is that God says in your life must be put on, you must make a specific choice to do it. You can't just say, well, God will work it out. You've got to make a specific choice. The second thing that we find is that it is a sure choice. We keep reading in verse number 15. The Bible says this in chapter three, of verse fifteen. And as they bear the ark, were, and as they that bear the ark, excuse me, were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim of the water. Now, pause for just a second. How do you think they did that? This is where all of us remember Sunday school, right? I mean, did they do it like this? <laughs> Again, they're bearing the ark. The guys on the left side got it on their shoulder. Staves are going through, and they're carrying it. And the first two guys come to the water. Is it, ee? I mean, at some point, even if it was, e, it's still a committed step. I mean, once I take the step, I have to come down into the water. And I'm in. When you make a specific choice, be sure that your choice will mark who you are. Once they hit the water, that was on. The choice was real. When you want to consecrate your life to God and you make choices, there will come moments where you have to be confident and sure. The Bible says in verse... 15, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up on a heap very far from the city Adam that is beside Zeratán And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood what? Firm. It's a sure choice. I mean, they were not in there going, (laughs) they went down there and stood. What great leadership on their part. Demonstration that we're making a specific choice, but it is also a sure choice. If you go on to chapter 4, you will find the third area, it is a significant choice. In chapter 4, as these priests are standing in the river... The Bible goes on to say this, and it came to pass when all the people were clean or completely passed over Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua saying, take you out 12 men out of the people out of every tribe of man. Now, pause for a second. These guys are standing in the river. I mean, at some point, they're kind of like, I don't know how long this is going to last. It's going to last as long as God wants it to last. That was their sureness in the choice. That's how confident they were in God. But they were standing there, and everybody gets over, and they're like, okay, we're done. And God says to, to, to Joshua, no, no, not yet. Why don't you go ahead and take 12 men. Why don't you go back down and pull out the stones. Verse 3, And command ye them, saying, Take you out hence out of the midst of Jordan, where those guys are standing firm. Go back out there and pull out stones out of place where the priest's feet stood firm. Twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the 12 men, whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan and take you up every man of you, a stone upon his shoulder. These were not little pebbles. These were massive boulders that would take the full strength of a man to get on his shoulder and walk out with. According unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a what? Sign. This is the significance of choice. When you make a specific, sure choice, it will have an impact. It will be significant to you. Sign among you that your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, "What mean ye by these stones? That ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. In other words, God says, when you choose by faith to make consecrated choices of putting off the old man and putting on the new man, those choices must be specific. They must be sure, and they will be significant significant. The question for most Christians is do they want to be consecrated? We're just happy living in defeat. Living on the side. We don't want to make hard choices. I would submit to you this morning that hard choices are part of the Christian life and they're the pathway to victory. Amen. Consecration in our Christian life follows the same pattern. God does not want you to just be saved. He wants you and your salvation to make specific, sure, and significant choices to follow Him and thus enter into His rest and victory. Consecration comes by choice, but letter B, it comes by circumcision. Or we might say the cutting away. Throughout the Bible, physical circumcision is always a picture of a spiritual truth. After God called Moses to lead Israel, he and his sons were circumcised. So much so that his wife, who was not a Hebrew, called him a bloody man. She was mad at the idea that this had to happen. According to Exodus 12, this was a necessary circumcision procedure for males to participate in in the Passover feast. When we come to the beginning of chapter 5, that is what's happening to these men. In in fact, chapter 5 and verse 10 said it was the time of Passover. To truly understand God, to gain the victory, we must cut away our flesh. Joshua was part of God's demonstration against Amalek, the flesh. But here we find in the promised Christian life how we are to routinely and righteously cut off or put off our flesh. Circumcision pictures putting off that which is sinful. In the New Testament, it illustrates putting off the old man. Joshua and the people could not have victory in the promised land by disobeying God. Right. Stop and think about that. If they're a type and a picture of us in the promised life, you cannot have victory in your promised life if you say, I know what God says, but I'm not going to obey Him. can't do it. That element of you, you have to cut out. You have to cut off. You have to remove that part of the flesh. Christianity today... It is not enough for us, friend, to say, "Well, I died with Christ in my salvation." It must be a daily reality for you. Consecration means cutting away the flesh. We must Circumcision, I, means, I should say, means cutting away the flesh. We must make this truth practical in our daily life by putting to death the deeds of the flesh, Paul tells us in Romans chapter eight. The New Testament Christian in Christ must put off the body of the sins of the flesh. Here's how Paul says it to the Colossians. In Colossians 2, beginning in verse 9. For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, in Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. It's not physical, it's spiritual in putting off the body of sins, of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It is Christ then who comes in and says, that must go, this may stay. It's not you. It's His Holy Spirit speaking in and through to you this morning, either through the preaching or through the Word of God daily, saying, that has to go. And I can tell you for a long time in my life, When I finally got my heart right with the Lord in my mid-twenties, that God was going to live and work through me, that was the process and to this day has always been the process. What has to go, what needs to come in. This circumcision, by the way, back here in Joshua, happens at Gilgal. Do you know what Gilgal means? It means a rolling away or a rolling It demonstrates their willingness to consecrate themselves wholly unto God. Just let them all roll away. Stop living in the flesh, he says. It's a lesson for us believers. Paul to the Galatians said this in Galatians 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I live the promised life, you could say. Who loved me and gave himself for me. For Joshua and for Israel, it was a demonstration that this was God's promised land. As believers, the idea of a spiritual circumcision is that God, this is God's life of promise. It is not your life to be lived anymore. The consecrated life is a victorious life through faith. So Joshua has crossed Jordan. It was a choice he made. He cut away his flesh because he was told to do so that he might be consecrated. Now, all that's left is victory. At the end of chapter 5 and through chapter 6, we find a conquest in faith. I said at the beginning of the message, God wants you to be victorious. Some of us have this picture of God that He's constantly waiting for us to mess up. That is not the correct biblical image of who God is. God is always looking to see you succeed. He wants you to be victorious. Far too often we look at our Christian life and don't even make the effort to try and live victoriously. God wants us to enjoy our Christian life. He wants us to demonstrate the freedom and the life that is found in His power, His purpose, His plan, His very person. The end of Joshua 5 through chapter 6 shows us just how simple victory is for us if we will do the first two things, answer the call to faith and consecrate ourselves by faith to Him. But in chapters 5 at the end and chapter 6, we find two required components for Conquest. How do we assure victory? Letter A, find heaven's captain. I don't know about you, but for many years of my life, I always wondered why Joshua 5 and verses 13 and following are there. I mean, God's already commanded him. God has already worked with him. God has already done for him. God is already there. It is very obvious that he's going to prosper him. And then we read this beginning in verse 13. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there stood a man over against him. In other words, a man who was literally facing him is what that can be read as. With what? His sword drawn in his hand. Gulp. I mean, at this moment, Joshua doesn't know who this is. I mean, he was one of the 12 spies, so he remembers what the giants look like. This guy didn't look like a giant. But this guy is awe-inspiring. This guy is fearful. This guy is serious. This man that is standing here is not just an apparition. It's not just a ghost. It's a physical being that is standing there with his sword drawn, staring right down the barrel of Joshua's eyes. Nobody else seems to see him, just Joshua. Joshua. And so Joshua asks the obvious question at the end of verse 13. Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Are you a good guy or a bad guy? This is a Christophany. When I say it's heaven's captain, Joshua 5 gives to us a Christophany. It's a physical manifestation of the Son of God in the Old Testament. We don't know if he looked like the physical form of what Jesus did in his incarnation. But here Jesus stands. Here God the Son stands with his sword drawn, ready for battle, and he's looking right at Joshua. But here's the important thing. Joshua's looking right at him. How is he going to conquer Jericho? I mean, it's going to be an odd plan to be sure we'll talk about. But the way he wins at Jericho is he keeps his eyes on the Lord. The Bible goes on to tell us this, and he said, the man speaks. Nay, no. But as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come." In other words, I have many roles. I have many responsibilities. But right now, I'm showing up to you as the captain of your hope, the captain of your salvation, the captain of victory. The Bible says, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. By the way, that's how we know it's not just a mere angelic appearance. None of the angels in the Old Testament or the New Testament, when they would appear to people, would accept or receive worship because they're not God. It's what makes Lucifer Lucifer, is that he wants man to worship him because he's corrupted what God's divine created order is. Worship only belongs to God. And this captain of the Lord's host stands here and receives the worship because it's God. Joshua was going to be victorious because he had found God, he had found the captain of his salvation. The Bible says, goes on to say in verse 14, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Joshua asks the question, what do I need to do? Verse 15, of the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot. For the place whereon thou standest is holy, and Joshua did so. Now, does that sound like any other story? It sounds exactly what Moses did at the burning bush at the beginning of Exodus. One of those great commentaries in the Bible about the Bible that's recorded for us. Moses says, I will now turn aside and see this thing. Moses is writing about his own internal conversation. And the answer is the internal conversation melted away because the burning bush spoke. Take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. Victory through faith comes only, my friend, as we draw near and worship the one who will fight for us. So I asked this morning, what areas of your life do you need victory in. Look to Jesus and find out what and how he addressed the same problem that you face. Is it a problem of money? Jesus said in the gospels, trust in your heavenly father because he clothes the grass of the field every day. Is it a question of health? I would leave it in God's hands. The sickness or infirmity is at and by his hand and it will accomplish his purpose. This is exactly how Jesus answered when the disciples asked him, Whose sin brought this man's blindness in John 9? And Jesus said, neither. It's so the will of God can be accomplished. Do you realize if you look at your health problems, your sicknesses, if you look at the problems that manifest in your life in the areas of your health, as opportunities to look to Jesus, trust in God, you will have a different perspective and you'll have victory. Jesus speaks to all of these things. How about worry over the future? Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Take no thought for your life. That deals with worry right there. He goes on to say, Your heavenly Father cares about birds. If he cares about birds, how much more valuable are you than they? You're worth a lot more than a bird. Sometimes I've been told I'm not worth a hoot, but I'm at least worth more than a bird. What I learned this morning. How about relationships? What do I do in these relationships? It's a hard one. I don't know if I can love that person. I don't know if I can care about that person. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, Jesus gives us the two great commandments. Love God, love others. Jesus doesn't stutter or stammer. He just tells us what to do. My point is that if you have areas of your life where you know that you must improve, where your faith needs to expand, where you need to gain the victory, then go to God, ask Him, are you for me doing this? Or as Joshua asked, are you for us doing this or are you against us doing this? When God answers through His word or through godly counsel, make the right choice and cut away the flesh. All of these things are the secret to success, victory, Joshua's first encounter in the land was with the one who would fight the battles for him. Jesus will do the same for us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Down in verse 37, after talking about all the things that might be against us. And there's a pretty good list of things that might be against us. Pretty intimidating list in Romans 8. He finishes by saying nay and all these things. By the way. Paul's words there, nay, sounds very similar. Nay. Now, I've come down for this particular, for us, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, nor powers, things present, things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We need to find Heaven's captain. I encourage you to do that this morning. But letter B, follow his commands. That's the final thing. If you were to go to chapter 6, you would find the second step of conquest in the Christian life is to follow God's word. God tells Joshua this in chapter 6 and verse 3. Ye shall compass the city. All you mean of war, go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets, and it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. You know what, after the early service, Mark Woods came to me and he said, Pastor, do you know what they shouted? I thought I'd never have thought about that. I mean, Mark's been in the church for 15 and a half years from the day one, and he picks this morning to blow my brain. I don't know what they shouted, but this is what God told them to do. And they shouted. It says, The wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up, or go straight up every man before him. That's a pretty straightforward command. Just do what God says. If we continue in chapter 6, here's how Joshua both interprets and then passes along God's word. Beginning in verse 6, Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said unto the people, pass on and compass the city and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the Lord. And Joshua down in verse 10 commanded the people saying, ye shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth. Until I bid you shout. Notice what I did there. I just kept getting quieter. I got the idea that as they started walking up to that hill, they got right around the edge of that city. Everything was very quiet. Nobody could hear anything. No sound. No nothing. Day after day after day, all they did was listen to God's word, walk around that city. Some of you are like sitting on pins and needles wondering when I'm going to shout. I've preached twice this morning and I'll preach again tonight. I will not shout at you because I don't know what they yelled. But the seventh day came and they shouted. The trumpet blew and they shouted and they went up and conquered. It seems that Joshua wanted the people to understand the totality of obedience He conveyed exactly what God said. By the way, as the leader and the commander, as a warrior himself, I'm sure it didn't make sense. But guess what he had? He had precedence, something strong and courageous, something he could hold on to. What was it? It was the battle of Amalek. I don't know how this is working, but I know it's working. And here God gives him another odd way to beat a city, but it wins every time. It reminds me, by the way, of Joshua telling it exactly as God said it, of what Isaiah's prophecy is, of the wizards and the prophets and those that would change the word of God. He said this in Isaiah 8 and verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. Heard a lot of messages preached on that first part of the verse. But the second part is the important part. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. Joshua was a follower of God, so he spoke exactly to what God said. Joshua was serious about obeying God's word. That is the only way to be victorious, for it demonstrates your true faith in him. If God's told you to do something from his book and you just patently don't do it, you'll never be victorious, ever. So, you want victory in your Christian life? It only comes through faith. Joshua's victorious life shows us that there's a call to faith, a consecration by faith, which leads to our conquest in faith. This morning, as we bow our heads in prayer in just a moment, perhaps you should talk to the Lord about an area of your life where victory seems to be eluding you. Maybe you've never answered the first call to faith in salvation. For the rest of us, the faith that we have is the only way that we can please God. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, without faith, in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Joshua's victory was through faith in Almighty God. Father, help us, I pray, as we close.